Good morning, and uh, welcome to 900 Ackland Avenue. This is the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. Um, this is the service for February 28th. Um, God bless you. I'm so glad that you all are listening, and um, I just pray that the Lord can be a, a blessing to you today. I'm going to start um, with um, Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and then 15 through 16. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. I will no longer, excuse me, it will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is an everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Then God said to Abram, regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, it will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. That is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I um, am just so grateful for you and grateful for the blessings that you give us. Um, I ask that you be with us at this time. Help us to think about you and think about your son and to think about the work that you have done um, over over the ages um, to um, redeem um, humanity to you. And Lord, I just I pray that um, we can continue to be part of that work. Um, that we see in 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 Abraham and, and Sarah, Lord, I just um, I ask that you be uh, with those that are unable to listen to this, um, you know, be with those that are sick, uh, be with those that are suffering, Lord, and I just I pray that um, uh, we can reach out to them, um, and uh, and reach out to those uh, that uh, don't know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord. Our psalm reading is Psalm 22, 23 through 31. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him but is listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. 
All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have ears to hear our suffering and eyes to see our pain. We thank you that you are with us in all that we experience, and we understand that most through Jesus. For when he came, we know that he suffered and endured pain and yet came out victorious on the other side. Lord, we pray that as we share in his sufferings, we will also someday share in his resurrection. Help us to be people of praise and to declare that you have done it. Through the name of Jesus, amen. Feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord. Good morning, church. This morning's reading is challenging and chafing. It's intimidating, maybe even frightening. It will sound radical, and yet it's a foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Let me set it up this way. Last year, a New York City preacher I follow on Instagram named Tim Keller announced that he'd been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. In the brief post, he requested prayer for the following things. For God to heal him, for his family to be comforted and encouraged, for minimal side effects so that he can continue his ministry as long as possible, and, and one more thing, and this last thing really struck me. He asked for prayers that he and his wife Kathy would, quote, use this opportunity to be weaned from the joys of this world and to desire God's presence above all, end quote. He prayed that his love for and trust in God would exceed and overwhelm all other desires. And when he said that, Keller used an arresting word, weaned. The word weaned always reminds me of a certain childhood memory. Growing up, we had a few cows. I wouldn't quite call it a farm. We didn't make money off of it. In fact, I'm sure we lost money. It was my dad's hobby. I think I told a story recently about a calf being born in a winter snow. Perhaps this story was the same calf. I just remember one day Dad came in and said, hey, I need some help out down the barnyard. And we kind of put up some gates and fences and we're kind of arranging things. And basically, we were separating this calf from his mother. Dad said, we're going to wean him. I'd never heard that word before. The calf had always nursed from his mother, but Dad said it was time to stop that. We needed to help him transition to eating grass and hay. I will never forget how that calf responded when we separated him from his mom. He kicked, he squealed, he cried, he pushed with his hoof trying to get through the gate. As I remember, he cried most of the night. He kept trying to find a way to get to her. And I remember for at least a couple days, he was, he was in agony as he experienced a denial of his desires. And then, after a few days, at some point, as I remember it, he was weaned. We returned him to his mother. But the desire to nurse was gone. That's what I always think about when I hear the word weaned. Tim Keller asked people to pray that he and his wife Kathy would be weaned from this world. The desire to nurse from the pleasures and joys of all the world offers. Instead, he wanted to have his desires met through the nourishment of the Lord. For the disciple of Jesus, it's a necessary 
but painful process. In our reading this morning, Peter gets weaned, and he doesn't react well to it. Our gospel reading comes from Mark chapter 8, 31 through 38. Mark chapter 8, 31 through 38. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. So this exchange comes right after Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah, and he goes from rock of the church to Satan in just a matter of a few verses. This was not what Peter wanted. He wanted the mighty son of man of Daniel 7, just without the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He wanted liberation from Egypt without a Passover lamb. And let's be clear about something. Peter's reaction is not based upon an absence of the resurrection. Jesus clearly tells them that he will rise after the cross. It's not that the victory was left out of the plan. It's in there. Peter just wanted the victory without the suffering. And i got to be honest, most days, I agree with Peter on this. And we're both wrong. This is the temptation of the shortcut, the oldest temptation in the Christian church. The shortcut. I love shortcuts. I want to get in shape, but I don't want to change my diet or exercise. I want a renewed relationship, like a better marriage, reconciliation with friend and family. I just don't want to do any work. I want to get an A, but I don't want to study. I want to be first chair in the concert, but I don't want to practice. I want the resurrection without the crucifixion. I want Easter Sunday without Good Friday. I want meaning without sacrifice. I want life without death. I want the shortcut, and Peter wanted the shortcut. Jesus calls Peter Satan. And part of this reason lies in the fact that Satan tried to tempt Jesus with shortcut thinking. Remember when Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if he bowed down to Satan? You know, we read that in the Gospel of Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. He offers him all the kingdoms. You can go ahead and have it. Just bow down to me. That was a shortcut. Because, I mean, Jesus would get it all anyway. But the temptation was to get it without the cross. Jesus both then and in this conversation with Peter, Jesus resisted the shortcut. Let's go to verse 34. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. In their culture, if someone rebelled against Rome, the Romans would hunt them down and put them on a cross. If you had done a poll on worst fears of the first century, The cross would have likely been number one. 
No one wanted the Romans to pick up a cross and bring them to it. But Jesus flips this by saying, he wants his followers to go ahead and pick up the cross. It's preemptive. Don't wait for them to bring it to you. You go ahead and walk towards it. On some level, it's likely a bit of hyperbole, for we don't have a record of them all going immediately, literally carrying crosses, building crosses. But the meaning's not lost on them. They were commanded to be willing to die. Death would no longer be their number one fear. Instead, being found unfaithful to Jesus, that would be their worst fear. Even Peter, who seems resistant here, eventually gets it. About 30 years later, he does pick up his cross and he dies on it. He was willing to die for the faith. He was afraid to renounce Jesus. Death was no longer his greatest fear. And this is a challenging teaching. Over the last year, we've thought a lot about death. First week of this, last March, we went through, remember like that 48-hour blitz where like everything's getting shut down and canceled and you're like, whoa, this is going to be a big thing. I remember a text thread with some friends processing all the pandemonium and one friend said, there's about to be a lot of people realizing they are mortal for the very first time. You know, over the last year, many of us have spent more time than we ever have thinking about our mortality, thinking about the growing COVID death toll, now 500,000 in the United States. Many of us know people who have died. Many of us have been afraid, and to be sure, it's been a scary time. I am fearful of death at times. What does this teaching say about this? This is what it's not saying. Jesus is not saying death is no big deal. Jesus is not saying we should be flippant about death or unwise about health or take foolish risks. Jesus is not saying we should seek out death. Jesus is not saying death is a good thing. What is Jesus saying? Jesus simply wants us to know that death should not be our number one fear. Unfaithfulness should be our number one fear. We should be prepared to die, not because death is good, but because death has been conquered and reframed in Jesus. I pray this very mortal year has helped us face our upcoming death, whether it be next year or 100 years from now, and reframe it it in the light of Jesus. And certainly, I always pray that Jesus will return today, tomorrow, or, or later this week, before any of us die. But if that doesn't happen, I want to be prepared for my death. Verse 35, Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. For 2,000 years, it's been a tradition for the church to tell stories of the martyrs. The Bible contains these stories of Stephen and James. Early church history tells stories of martyrs like Polycarp. And you may have read the famous Fox's Book of Martyrs. Someone in my church growing up frequently told martyrdom stories. It might be like in a class at church or a church camp or on a camping trip. They just had all these stories about the martyrs. They had read a bunch about it. And they would just suddenly recall a historical martyrdom story, just like you might talk about the weather or a recent ball game. It was something that always seemed to be on their mind. My Egyptian Coptic Orthodox students, they tell me their tradition regularly remembers the martyrs in their assembly assemblies. Other traditions have certain days of the year, right, where they remember the martyrs, remember the saints that have gone on before us. 
This verse has become a literal reality for countless Christians over the years. Are we willing to die for our faith? It's kind of hard to know in our context, you know. It's not something I've personally faced. You know, hopefully our prayerful answer is, Lord, help me be faithful if and when that time comes. But I doubt we're going to be martyrs. That doesn't take away the sting of the teaching, though. We're still asked to experience a type of death through self-denial and self-sacrifice. We lose our lives by putting our desires on the back burner. We put God's desires before our desires. We put others before ourselves. And to be clear, there is a discussion out there about making time for ourselves so we can be healthy, for uh, so we can then help others. And we want to be healthy people. We don't want to burn out. And I think all that's wise and all that's a good conversation. This just isn't the season for that conversation. It's not time for that conversation. So let's not rush into that. Instead, let's let the challenging sting of these words hover over us a while longer. Are you willing to lose your life for Jesus and the gospel? What does that mean? Well, for Jesus, it meant putting God and people above himself. Self-sacrifice. That's where Jesus found his meaning and purpose. And that's what it should look like to us. This will feel like death, but mysteriously, it will lead to life. Jesus explains what that looks like in the next verse, verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? That quote there, gaining the whole world. That's Jesus' description of trying to find your life. And maybe you haven't gained it, but you're pursuing the whole world, all the stuff that the world offers. It lures us in, lures me in. But Jesus sees it as a dead end. As the saying goes, you can buy a lot of stuff, but you can't take it with you. The money, the social media followers, the house, the car, the vacation, the perfect kitchen, just like on the TV show. The man cave, the trophies, the ribbons, the awards, the scholarships, whatever it is, you can't take it with you. On the day of judgment in the next life, it will all be clear. Did you live for yourself and pursue your life, or did you live for God and others by losing yourself. What does this look like? One of my favorite examples comes from the writings of David Brooks. He talks about the differences between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Think about that for a second. I think I've mentioned this before. I mean, what types of things do you put on a resume? Schools you went to, degrees you obtained, skills you have, references from people who you've worked with, titles and honors you've received. But think about it. I haven't seen any of your references. Like, we don't, we probably don't know what's on each other's references, even though we're close friends, because that's not how friends interact. It's work talk, not friend talk. And to be clear, your resume is important. Your job helps people, and we need your jobs, and your jobs are vital. Your jobs are ministry. It's not a bad thing, but there's a greater thing. The eulogy. Consider the eulogy when someone dies. What do people share at a funeral about a loved one? I mean, I think of Buford's funeral. And I don't remember anyone talking about where he went to school or what degrees he had. We did talk about his job at Genesco, but it was in the context of how he helped people, not his title or salary. We talked about things that weren't on his resume. He was a faithful kind husband to Dot. He was a gentle, patient father to his three sons. He was a calm servant for this church. He made us laugh. He made us smile. 
his eulogy was different, better than his resume. His eulogy focused on how he put Jesus and others above himself. Consider your resume and compare it to your future eulogy. Which are you putting more work into? And once again, it's not that one is bad and one is good, but one is more important than the other. Are you saving your life or are you losing your life? Are you gaining the world or sacrificing yourself? And the passage ends in verse 38. If anyone, is, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Look directly at the passage. Peter was ashamed of Jesus. <laughs> he was frustrated, angered, and embarrassed by this teaching. He takes Jesus aside. Basically, he's like, what are you doing? He was, his face was red. And in response, Jesus does not mince words. If Peter's going to be ashamed of Jesus, Jesus will be ashamed of Peter. Peter changed. He leaned into those words. And ultimately, he was unashamed. And when Jesus returns, he will be unashamed of Peter. Family, think of it. Jesus says some hard things. Does it bother you? Are you embarrassed about Jesus' teaching sometimes? Or are you ashamed? And his response is basically this. Death should not be your greatest fear. Your greatest fear should be Jesus being ashamed of you when he returns. Because you were embarrassed and faithless in this life. So will you be faithful or unfaithful? That's the question. Sadly, too few Christians spend time on this teaching. Tragically, too many Christians water this down. And I predict the following future, which we're already seeing. The number of people who identify as Christians and who participate in church will continue to decline in this country. But I believe, and I pray, and I see it even now, there will be a growing minority that hears teaching like this and says, I am unashamed of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus. The girls and I have been watching The Mandalorian. I know a bunch of you have watched it because you've told me about it. But if you haven't, it's a Star Wars story. It's on Disney+. Plus. It follows a bounty hunter, the, the Mandalorian. Like, think Bubba Fett. Have you ever watched the first movies? He's like that. And he befriends and he protects a creature, most called Baby Yoda. You find out his real name eventually. The Mandalorian is part of a group who wears a face shield, battle armor, is, and they live by like a certain code. And on more than one occasion, the Mandalorian goes to visit a woman who many call the Armorer. She may be the character Rook cast from the Clone Wars. Shout out, Lake Porter. He visits her to fix and update his armor from time to time. And on one occasion, they discuss the Mandalorian code because the Mandalorian's trying to plot his next step. And he realizes his next move is super challenging and difficult. And it's not what he wants to do. He believes he should do it, but he doesn't want to do it. You know, that type of thing. He's conflicted between self-protection and self-denial. And as he sits in silence, she comes over and she simply says, It is the way. And awakened from his reflection, he looks back at her and he resolutely responds, It is the way. And then he goes and does it. And I was thinking about that as I read this scripture this week. Jesus says, Forever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. That is a hard teaching. It's challenging. 
it's chafing and I don't always like it and I don't always want to do it but what would it look like for us as disciples of Jesus to look at each other and encourage each other and simply say it is the way Please take a moment to uh, to worship God and to prepare your hearts and minds uh, for communion. You don't have to look too hard for examples about how broken our world is. You can see it on the news in faraway places, and you can see it right here in our backyard in Nashville. It's not even necessary to name examples of this brokenness. Each one of us could come up with a long list. It's, enough to, it's easy enough to be anxious, to be fearful about the future, to be sad, to lose sleep, to feel guilty, to become cynical. That's human nature. It's what we do. And speaking for myself, me personally, many things have been weighing on me lately, sometimes making me wake up in the middle of the night. So I think it's timely and fitting that today is the second Sunday of Lent. Uh, Romans 8, 31, 39 is one of the readings, and it's an encouraging passage, one that I think we all should read daily before school or work or bedtime. So Romans 8, 31, 39 says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we read that uplifting passage and now partake in the symbolic act of communion, where we give thanks to our Lord's sacrifice and the defeat of death. Events that are far outweigh the world's or our own problems. But before we do that, let's pray for the bread and the wine. Dear Lord, as we prepare to take this bread that represents your son's body on the cross and this wine that represents his blood, we pray to you in thanksgiving for what you've done for us. Throughout human history, we have witnessed the brokenness of this world, but we know that in you and you alone, we have hope. Please bless this bread and this wine. In your son's name we pray. Amen.
Before I pray, I'll be reading from Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13 through the end of the chapter. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless, because law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith by Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for continuing to bless us during this time. Lord, we ask that you be with us throughout this week and guide us in our faith. Lord, help us to not waver through unbelief, but be strengthened through your power and your glory. Lord, we thank you most for your son, Jesus, who was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Ackland Avenue. Brad Knapp here bringing you some announcements on Sunday, February 28th. Sunday, 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 February 28th. Can you feel the energy in here tonight? Yeah! We are getting ready to get into March, which is putting us very close to a year of this COVID greatness. But there are things to celebrate Ackland Avenue because we are in person, we are worshiping, and we are talking about sometime soon being outdoors and worshiping. That's singing together again. Incredible. Be in, be in prayer about that uh, so that we can get to uh, a place where we can connect uh, in, in a way that just continues to enrich all of us. While you're praying, remember Marianne Corley, Bodie's mom, Aiden, Trudy, our missionaries, and then your fellow brothers and sisters within this church. Um, you know, go through that directory. Pray. Pray out loud with your spouse or a significant other. Be in your closet. Be on your faces. Pour out your heart towards God and let Him hear. Uh, and let him act uh, on what you were preaching um, as you were beseeching him for his uh, oversight and assistance and love. While you're dishing out some love, remember that tomorrow, Avila Sullenberger turns 10. 10! Unbelievable. Two hands. Two full hands. Melissa Myrick also tomorrow celebrates a birthday. 
I hear, I hear that Justin's going to retire again as a gift for Melissa. Isn't that right, Melissa? Yeah. Um, on the third, Dot Eubanks and Matt Bauer celebrate together a birthday that they are both rejoicing in. So some great fun there. A lot of opportunities to share that love. And then uh, something also to be cognizant of and prayerful for, uh, because it'll be something that we really want to just kick off the the doors with and do here locally is our spring retreat. And it'd be a great opportunity in April. We're looking at April 9th through 11th to reconnect uh, with the church through a variety of activities. More information to come soon. Uh, But want you to uh, mark your calendars for that so that we can get together. Church. Now it's time to grab those donuts, to get your coffee, and join together and celebrate. Looking forward to the chance where we're all grasping hands, giving hugs, maybe still wearing masks, but still loving one another in person. Till next Sunday. Acklin out. Peace! You've been listening to 900 Acklin Avenue a podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash org. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.